This episode of Bright Hearth is brought to you by Garlands of Grace and our supporters at Patreon.com. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Colossians 1, 21-23 Hello everyone, welcome back to Bright Hearth. Lexi and Brian are here tonight on our full-size bed. Full-size bed, that is the technical size of our mattress, everybody. Yeah. We were just talking about how California you King. You were talking about. Get out of here, California King. I can't have <laughs> my wife far me. away from me. Like over <laughs> on another country, practically. People laugh. They're like, when they when they visit our house or whatever, and we're showing them around, they're like, is that your bed? <laughs> like, yes, it is. Like, is that a twin bed? We're like, well, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. It's a full. <laughs> yes, we have slept on a full bed since she was 19. I was 20. No, we had a queen. We had a queen for a little while. Did we? Yeah, it was when you built us that bunk bed that we had to downsize. Wait a second. So I think we had a queen for like two years. But there didn't we use a full-size mattress on the queen for AIM? No. Nope. Your we parents bought it. It was a wedding gift to us. I remember that's why. Did we have any babies during that time? Yes. Okay, my thesis yes. is disconfirmed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anyway, I'm not going to tell you what my thesis is because I'm sure I you can't guess. I think it's obvious. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can't guess. Today we are talking about something that we've had lots of questions about, actually, and also Mm -hmm. we've done a lot of talking about over the years. Many of us, you know, and many of our listeners as well, probably grew up in, in, if you know, just statistically it's likely that you grew up in a broadly evangelical, maybe low church, sort of megachurch environment, youth group culture, kind of broadly Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention or something similar, sort of church, and then somewhere along the lines, you know, many of us started readings. Somehow we slipped and fell into the river of Reformed theology. Yeah, you got a little taste of the rich stock of our Christian heritage. And you said, mm. I want more of that. Let me get another taste of that. Mm. And you just kept going. <laughs> and you got swept off in this great river of historic Reformed theology, and you just discovered this whole world of theological and cultural glories to search through. And sometimes that happens within marriages. Sometimes that continues in uh, your development. If you maybe get married when, like us, like we said, we got married fairly young, 19 and 20. And since then, we've had theological changes and developments and deepening and maturing and all sorts of things have happened. And so what we wanted to talk about today was how to work through it and really how to manage theological change in your marriage. And I, I think this is a topic that probably doesn't get talked about very much. Mm-mm. We more focus on the specific theological changes, like debating yeah, baptism true. or you know different subjects. Then we talk about just how do you actually work through these changes as a married couple? How do you talk about them? How should you think about them? What are some safeguards to have in place? And we've been through some of these ourselves. So yeah, we figured we'd talk it through. And so the, really the first place to start, that, or at least the place where I wanted to start uh, in, in this conversation, Lexi, was first talking about some of the dangers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and there's a reason that I picked that passage in the cold open in Colossians, 
where Paul urges Christians to remain stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. It's very easy to get shifted, to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. It's very easy to become you know, enamored of a new idea and then kind of get bored with that new idea and then jump mm. to a new idea. And then you become like the men of the Areopagus in Acts 17 who, you know, they passed their time and they wanted to pass their time in nothing except, you know, talking and hearing of something new. So so there's a, there's a, a real danger in front of us in a world of internet theology and the just sheer availability of information for us to be tossed around and also because of things like YouTube and podcasts, even things like this even, it's just really easy to get tossed from one thing to another theologically and kind of lose your stability. So the first thing I wanted to talk about were just some of the dangers that, that you might face, and we don't want you to run into those dangers, obviously. So can you think of any dangers that we'd want to head off? Lexi, when we're talking about theological shifting and a growing any dangers in front of us? Well, actually, when I heard you talking about that verse, I was thinking about how easily a husband or wife really either way could easily, they could one day believe their spouse is a Christian because they both believe the gospel. They're both Baptists. They're both, you know, uh, that like explains everything. I feel like <laughs> <laughs> that was um, all of it. They're both um, Baptists. And then, you know, one of them has a subtle shift. And so they start judging the other person based on the theology instead of the gospel. Yeah. So that's more of what I was thinking was like, you really should take comfort. Even if you guys do disagree over things, if you agree on the fundamentals of the gospel in Orthodox Christianity, you should take comfort in that. You should not shift the way you view your spouse from their gospel foundation. Yeah, that's good. As as you start to read and often in marriages you'll have one spouse who is who is just naturally tuned more to theological reading or discovery or maybe they're they're the researcher or they're the they're just the yeah. reader. Yeah, even though you and I are both big readers most of the time I have more time to do the reading. Oh, sure. So, <laughs> yeah, so it can be easy for, but um, I know people that like, I know friends who the wife is the reader and the husband doesn't read yeah. or the other side where the husband's had to pull the wife along and you yep. know, yep. Yeah. I've seen so. both. <clears throat> I've seen both this week and you have, you <laughs> and know, it's Monday. <laughs> yeah, it's Monday. You, you just have this, um, you, you often have a natural wiring in one direction. Yeah. So you can have one spouse who starts down the rabbit hole and, and maybe it's good stuff. I'm not even talking about like, they get sucked into some cult or something. No, no yeah. I'm talking about just normal Christian theological maturing and developing. And but but one of the dangers in front of you in a marriage is that one of you gets, you know, three miles ahead of the other one in this yeah. whole line of thinking. The other one's not coming along with them, or maybe they're not being invited along. And then <laughs> the spouse that is further ahead in some area of endeavor starts to look down on the other one and say, like, well, are you even a Christian? Yeah. Have you even thought about the filioque? You know, it's like, well, no, I haven't. What is that? <laughs> you know, so there's a danger of pride and arrogance, yeah. and obviously that's toxic to a marriage, and it's especially toxic when you have um, a wife who yes. is sprinting ahead of her husband, and her husband maybe she has more time, maybe she has time for podcasts during the day, and I'm not saying wives don't have a hard job. I mean, like, but sometimes there's work. I know a lot of ladies that in the course of their day, they build in times where 
they're able to listen to podcasts, like mm-hmm. taking care of a young baby or cleaning the house or they're just activities. Some men also have jobs like this where they're trucking or they're doing something. They can actually listen to a lot of podcasts and sermons. And in either direction, it can get really, you can get really far ahead and then start judging your spouse yeah. or being rude to them or treating them like that they are an idiot. Which is generally not good no. for a marriage. No. Generally not good. Like if your doctrine and your theo- theological change isn't leading to more patience and kindness towards your spouse, yeah, check yourself. <laughs> yeah, one of the big principles that you need to take to the bank is that knowledge is not the same thing as Christian maturity. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> They're not identical. Like That's sometimes a great point. You get running away with this. It's a huge problem uh, for all of us, that it's very easy to mistake knowing a lot about theology for actual Christian maturity. Those are two different things. You, a, a mature Christian who is growing in his maturity or her maturity will grow in their knowledge of God, absolutely. They should grow in their knowledge of Scripture, in being in the Word of God. They should grow in all of that. But knowledge is not the same thing as Christian maturity. And one of the ways that you can see this, actually, simply by looking at some of the most knowledgeable people on earth with respect to the Scriptures— when Jesus came to his ministry, and that's the Pharisees and the scribes. They, many of them had the Pentateuch memorized from all accounts. The books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized many of them, and large swaths of the prophets and the Psalms. And yet Jesus said they didn't understand the Bible at all, and they didn't know God, and their father was the devil. So knowledge is not Christian maturity. We need to remember this when we're undergoing theological change, in order to stay in fellowship with one another, we, we actually need love for one another, even across disagreement, mm-hmm. and even across gaps in interest, because some spouses are going to be really interested in the intricacies of theological endeavors, and another spouse just might not be, and it doesn't actually mean that it's impossible for them to be as mature as you. Yeah. I saw you looking up a verse. Sorry, yeah. Oh. Um, first Corinthians thirteen twelve was really helpful to me on this front. Let me pull it up real quick. This, this actually didn't have anything. This wasn't Brian and I, Brian and I were totally on board with this, but it was, it was actually a church decision several years ago. And Brian had essentially been voted down on something. <laughs> and to me, it was just a shock. Like, isn't this obvious though? And I was reading Hugh Benning's book, Christian love at the time, which is still one of my absolute favorite Puritan books. And he was applying this verse, which says, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. And he was basically saying, we can have humility and love towards others that we're disagreeing with because all of our knowing now is simply seeing dimly through some sort of a mirror. So it should cause that reality should cause humility in us and patience towards others. And it was like night and day difference because it was like this, traumatic thing for me to have to figure out, well, how do I, how do I be in fellowship with someone who Mm. disagrees so deeply with my husband on something that is just purely obvious to me? (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it, that was a great comfort and help to me that verse. Yes. That's a great point. You have, you you have to, I mean, I call it epistemic humility. Yeah, It's like humility about how you know what you know, the extent and certainty of your own knowledge, where we need to make sure that a lot of times it's easy to read one book that we find very convincing very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we develop this this idea that there are two groups of people in the world. Yeah. <laughs> there are people who agree with me and then there are idiots. 
And we even yeah. forget that the thing that we're thinking everybody is an idiot about was something we literally did not know existed until 15 yeah. minutes ago. And to be honest, you've been, I keep thinking of it in terms of like husband directed reading. You've been helping me pick up, pick out some uh, reformed classics over the last year. Mm-hmm. And which to me, I feel like is digging in deeper, like planning my roots deeper on the rock we're standing on. But in some ways, understanding this vast amount of orthodoxy in the church is helping me be more patient towards people of other opinions. Mm-hmm. I, and I think Lewis has talked about this, like reading from the past makes you realize how little you know and understand. And some of the, some of the takes that I'm just like, okay, I don't disagree with you there at all. I mean, I, I don't agree with you there at all. I disagree with you here. I agree with you there. Like it's just, it's leading to more patience towards those I disagree with. So yeah. I definitely would recommend reading older doctrine. Yeah. If you go through and you just have a regiment of uh, like regimented historical reading and even just one subject, let's say you're investigating some area of theology, baptism or covenant theology or something like that. And then you just start down the road and you say, what's the best book on this? What's the best book from this other perspective? You start going back through history and looking at doing the work of historical theology, systematic theology. You'll find that there are often nuances and even large, um, like watershed disagreements, yeah, down through the literature, and that it's amongst very godly Christians, yes, who are also brilliant in many areas, and you know, doctors in the church and fathers in the church, and it helps you to develop a, a, a humility to say, look. These were all brothers. They disagreed. Yeah. <laughs> that probably means that I'm not going to get every single thing yeah. right. Yeah. It's good sometimes. Like, I remember reading Augustine. One of the first times I read Augustine, like a whole work of his. And I was like, I disagree what with quite it? a bit of this. It was, um, I can't even remember now. I'm, I'm remembering issues, though. He was... There were some perspectives in the early church, I think, on things like sexuality that uh, yeah. went towards asceticism. Yeah, yeah. And and I think we developed that better as the that theological uh, endeavor uh, investigation worked itself out through history. Yeah. And we came to better and more robustly biblical views of this. There were lots of good things in there, and there often it's like taking a taking a good thing or and applying it to the exclusion of all other possibilities. Yeah. But but it was good to read Augustine and say. Yeah, I Augustine's brilliant and he's a you know a great theologian. He's highly influential in the history of the church. Honor and respect him and then also say I don't agree with everything he ever wrote. Yeah. And that that probably tells me that I have issues that I'm simply unaware of or yeah. maybe blind to. And so epistemic humility is important. Let, let, let me ask you a specific question, Lexi. Okay. Uh, that's more marriage focused here. And that is what are some ditches that a wife in particular can fall into when undergoing theological change in how she relates to her husband? Like me specifically or <laughs> a wife, a wife. Okay. So well, like not what, what have you necessarily, what mistakes, what, what okay. mistakes might a wife make? Okay. So we, we've cut, talked a little bit about the pride aspect of it, um, yeah. about talking down to others about, you know, having non gospel related forms of judgment for our spouse. I think a wife could also like the other end of the spectrum might be almost scoffing at knowledge 
and something might be really important to your husband. And I, I remembered with, uh, with eschatology, that was the first one that I was like, I should probably read a book about this, even though I don't want to, mm. because I was realizing how much it was changing other areas of your thinking and our lives. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's a little bit different as a pastor's wife. I do feel like I have to have an apologetic because people do come to me with questions, but I think women can sometimes, I guess maybe let your husband set the pace for what you're studying and be willing to let him set that pace and be willing to not just read another like parenting book. Does that make sense? You mean like if you are not naturally inclined to theological investigation? Correct. Okay. Correct. But you're noticing like this is, this is important enough to him that I'm, I'm realizing it is going to change aspects of our finances, of our, of our educating, of our kids, of our extended family relations, like all of that. I should probably understand this a little bit. Yeah. If you're inclined, if your husband is inclined towards more theological reading than you are and he's passionate about something, attempt to take an interest and see and and learn the the material and let him and say, what are the best two books I could read about this? Yeah. You know, and, and work with him to try and understand his mind and to follow him for sure. That's definitely an area uh, where you, you've addressed both sides here where you have maybe some ladies who are, they're very active theologically. They're growing quickly. They're reading a lot. They're kind of coming to lots of opinions and maybe outpacing their husbands Yeah, and then struggling to, you know, figure out what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the other side, you have a wife who maybe she just isn't that naturally inclined to read a bunch of theology books. But her husband's like always buying new books and he's reading them and he's he's talking to her and he's like wanting to argue, you know, not argue, but tell her about this new thing he's interested in. And she should take interest. Yeah, take an interest because you love the person and because you love the person, there is something worthy in that pursuit. This episode of Bright Hearth is sponsored by Garlands of Grace, which is a wonderful Christian company that offers a variety of very versatile head coverings, head wraps, and headbands for sale for women and girls. They're very versatile. Uh, you know, whether you're head covering for uh, 1 Corinthians 11 reasons or just looking for a pretty and feminine head covering, they've got you covered. Babe, why do we like Garlands of Grace? I really liked Garlands of Grace because when I was first trying to um, recover this call to head cover, I didn't necessarily want something that was super trendy and that everyone else was doing. Um, and I found their pieces really feminine and timeless in a way that uh, just a lot of other coverings that you could pick up at Target or on Amazon just weren't. And they are very quality. And if you are a mom trying to cover in a pew with wiggly children, you know how hard it is to actually keep a head covering on. Yes. And I really like their volumizer brand, uh, bands that are velvet and they stick to your head and I have had no issues with them. So yeah, I really like them. And they're a sister-owned company. Yeah, Christian-owned, sister-owned, and they're all made in the USA. So a great company to support. We would uh, commend you, husbands, if you're listening, go check this out as a thoughtful gift for your wife, or your daughters. They have head wraps for uh, ladies as well as little girls. And they've got a whole lot of different styles, a lot of different beautiful colors, and a really great quality company. So we're glad to have them as a sponsor for this episode of Bright Hearth. And uh, you can support us by supporting them. So head over to garlandsofgrace.com. You can use the link in the description of this episode, and we hope that you'll give them your support. What would you tell the wife who's who is outpacing her husband theologically, at least in her 
she thinks she is. She's okay. And she's thinking like, man, okay, I know all this stuff. And my husband just doesn't seem to care about it. And maybe it's stuff that a lot of these areas are not just esoteric. They actually have implications for your family. Yeah. Like, let's say you're at a yeah. mega church, you're somewhere and, and you're in your wife and, and you're thinking, we need to get somewhere where they're singing Psalms and there's reformed theology yeah. and there's what kind of counsel would you have for a wife? In I that would situation? say one, it's okay to keep having ongoing respectful communication about the topic. Um, as long as you can be respectful and it's not turning to fights, then, you know, just continue to check up, see, see what he's thinking, ask him if he is reading, if he isn't, if you have questions about like, if you are at a mega church and you're wondering like, is he okay with the female pastor on stage? Ask him, like have those conversations. Um, The other thing I would say is to be patient with the timing because if you're impatiently trying to rush something in some ways you're outside the will of the Lord and it doesn't Mm -hmm. really matter if you guys get on the right page, if you got there by the wrong means, does that make sense? Yeah. Like you don't want to manipulate, manipulate your husband into something or you're not going to send him into. And the other thing too is cause I think this has been, I don't feel like I outpace you. I just feel like I have more time to research things quicker than you. So can I give examples? Yeah, sure. Okay, so I probably would have baptized our babies two years ago. But you made it very clear to me, like, I am going to get to this. I am going to read this. We have these three things we're working on at the church. My research time is put towards that right now. So I knew you weren't putting me on the back burner, first of all. That was helpful. We did have ongoing conversations about it. But third of all, it was one of those things that it was like, I also understood and respect the way you research things because I think a lot of people who don't like you just have the opinion that you're really unreasonable and you're like stuck in your ways and that's it. But something that drives me crazy about you is that (laughs) you you really want to research it from every side. And I think I'm much harder to convince about things sometimes. Yes. And that's, and Mm -hmm. it's charitable of you. And you've taught, you've taught me this, that, when you're debating somebody else, you need to put the sign of a good debater is that you can put their position in the most charitable, positive light so you can then break it down left and right. And that means you're actually good at debating. But in order to do that, you have to know all the sides. And that kind of drove me crazy <laughs> because it meant you were reading, in some ways you were reading more than me because you were researching it from different perspectives. So I've had to learn like, patience and also just being like okay with because I know that I'm not saved by my theology I can be patient with it you know yeah I I know what you mean where it's like okay let's take infant baptism versus credo baptism yeah you you know that it's not as if uh, if you're respectfully submitting to your husband and we're working through it and yes. coming to convictions about it. You're not in sin. Y- yeah, you're you're doing what the Lord has told you to do, which is to And follow, that's follow that's me. a funny one too because I had taken Dr. White's class on ancient church history which fully convinced me of credo. And I was talking to you about it one day and you also as a Baptist were like, "Yeah, but let me poke holes in all of this." And I was like, "What?" So frustrated that here you were my Baptist husband poking holes in all my Baptist arguments 
when like two years prior you had said don't even go down the pedo road right now so i was so confused but then it switched where i had to be patient on both ends of the spectrum if that makes sense like i had to be patient to let you poke holes in where i was but then on the other end when when i had come around to pedo baptism well really essentially it was covenant theology first for me yeah then i had to be patient and let you come the full way around so yeah my my to 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 sometimes to a fault and and sometimes it is is annoying to people who are not wired the same as me (laughs) i'm i would prefer to steal man another person's position but i understand why i think that's if a wife like maybe ask your husband why are you doing that like why are you i thought we were researching this why are you doing that um, he might have, he probably has very good reasons. He's a man. He doesn't have to explain himself to you, but ask him if you're genuinely wondering, ask him respectfully, let him yeah, help you understand your husband more. Part of it's like de- in debate, one of the exercises that I'm used to doing is arguing for both sides. Like in debate class, sometimes. Brian we was would, a state champion. Well. They tried to get him to stay past graduation so that he could keep me on the, on the debate team <laughs> yeah my debate coach was i graduated a semester early and he was like please please don't just stay for <laughs> debate class and i was like i am not going to do that but he <laughs> you know part of the exercise is here's a topic okay argue for this side of the position the the affirmation side argue that this proposition is true okay now switch sides you argue negative so you have to learn how to steel man each side and yeah. present the goal should be I would prefer to be able to state my opponent's case better than he can. Yes. Even when I disagree so that I could be like, Oh, you were missing this really good argument. I'm going to bring that up so that I can address it too, because someone's probably thinking of this argument. And what that means is that at least I try to be slow to change my mind about something or to make sure that I'm not missing something big in the conversation, sometimes to a fault, but, but that does make for, um, it, it it takes patience. I was also going to say, follow me. <laughs> I think women can be quick because we are more gullible. We can be quick to make changes. That was so based. And I am going to pass right over it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we can talk about that later. <laughs> Someone was mad at me this week on Instagram, by the way, they like went back and uh-huh. found some, some random comment yeah. in my history on Instagram about why I don't think women should vote. But, also another so based. <laughs> okay, so what was I? Oh, I don't remember where we got this advice. Maybe you just said it to all of us as elders families one day. But somebody encouraged us to not make theological changes as an isolated island into ourselves. Yeah, but have like one or two other people that you're studying them with. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, that ends up being all the elders families are studying the same thing at the same time. And it's funny because we all fall on different places on a lot of these things. So I think that can be helpful f- for a wife too. like even ask your husband, like, hey, I really want to d- dive deep into this. I know you're not into this right now. Are you OK with me doing this? Because if not, I can find something else to l- look into or I can you know, not listen to that anymore. Let him lead you with his permission in a way. Yeah. But maybe like maybe start a book group or have one other reading companion that you have or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's very helpful. I I mean, all throughout these things I'm talking and arguing and debating, not just with, well, obviously I'm not debating with my wife, but 
with other pastors and with Dan, and we would we'd have hours of conversation about different topics and go back and forth and kind of like, you know, test out various arguments. And doing that in community is so much better. Yeah. Um, I think a danger too. So so ladies need to be aware that they might be tempted to just be convinced and run really quickly. Take time. If you're if your husband says slow down, read this other book first. Let's talk to our pastor. Let's see what mm-hmm. he has to say. Yeah, it's a good You sign. should talk to your pastors. Yeah. You should say, This is where I'm thinking right now. This is what I've been reading. And I'm I've grown convinced of this position. Where do you stand on it? Should I am I not aware of some argument? And can you help yeah. me think through it? Um, because especially if you're in a good church, you've probably sworn vows to um, obey the leadership of the elders and to follow their doctrine keeping. And so maybe certain doctrines too, if you become convinced of a different doctrine, you might need to be careful that you don't dishonor your elders yes. by advocating that position in the church if it's not a position there that they are willing to be advocated in your church. So for example, if you become convinced of pedo-baptism and you're in a 1689 London Baptist Confession Church, you you should not go on a campaign and try to convert everybody around you in the next five minutes to pedo-baptism. You, you just shouldn't. Like, that's just disrespectful to your elders. You know, talk to them. Let them guard and keep the doctrine of the flock so that you're not putting them in a position where they have to go back and say, well, hang on, you're not allowed to go advocate contra mm-hmm. the elders' teaching. Yeah. That's fair. That's perfectly fair of them to do as elders. Even if you think they're wrong about some issue, I'm obviously not talking about heresy. I'm talking about things that Christians have disagreed on for a long, long time. Let's yeah. say like efficacy yeah, yeah. of baptism, timing and mode, you know, Calvinism, things like that. You need to be able to, uh, you need to respect your elders. And if it means that you need to depart a church, then you should do that respectfully and go and find elders in a church where you can submit yourself gladly to membership. And as a woman, I, I find this a unique take on this as a woman because part of why I like that my ministry outside the church, i.e. Bright Hearth, is attached to you and only you is because you've set the doctrine for this. So there's no weirdness with me being with other women in other women's ministries because that's kind of what happens sometimes when women group up to do women's ministry apart from any oversight of masculine leadership, yeah. they kind of just start setting doctrine everywhere. Sure. And I like, I don't mind talking about theological things to women, but it can set a stumbling block before those other husbands. If you're persuading mm-hmm. wives of something they're not okay with. And it's just also not appropriate for you to be doing that outside of the direct oversight of a male. Yeah. So if, if ladies, if you're going to start investigating some area of doctrine that is contrary that is going to try to convince you of some major doctrinal shift outside of your your family's current status. So let's say that you're a credo Baptist family, and you know you're Reformed Baptist, or you're just norm, you know you're kind of a generally Southern Baptist Baptist, whatever it is, and you are interested in investigating pedo baptism. And I'm a pedo Baptist. Only keep right using now. this example because people keep asking. It's also about the it. most common by far. <laughs> yeah. So especially right now, that's true. Well, you know, or head coverings or something like that. Go and ask your husband. Yeah. Seriously, go and ask your husband. Don't read 15 books, become convinced of an alternate view, and then go talk to your husband. Go talk to him. <laughs> Say, I'm interested in reading this through. 
I think maybe there's a case for pedo baptism or in either direction. Stop, pause, go talk to your husband and make sure that he is okay with you reading. And because the thing is, ladies, he's charged as the head of his home with ensuring that his family is following Christ yeah, and that they're in good standing and membership in their church and all these things. And if you just go run roughshod and you basically end up becoming fully convinced of six other positions out, man, it's going to be very difficult for you and your family. Yeah, it, it would be better for you to honor and respect your husband as the head yes, of the home. Correct. If he and I'm and I'm saying he's a Christian, it's a Christian. You're not talking about like some hyper charismania or some heretical notion or whatever. Not like if you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're you're like ah oh, I'm. If you're a Jehovah's, if your family is a Jehovah's Witness, and you've come to believe the true gospel, re, you know, repent, follow yeah. Christ, and there's a cost, and that happens. But you need to ask for your husband's help, permission, and read with him. Let him uh, have um, some time to investigate it as well. Maybe get ahead a little bit. Recommend some books, and and just generally respect his leadership in the home. And I'm saying that obviously as a Pado Baptist. But my goal would not be if I'm talking to a bunch of like wives who are from credo Baptist backgrounds. Yeah, I would be very, very careful about how I would talk to them. I don't want them to think their husbands are dumb. Yes, or like disrespect them because the thing is, this is an issue where obviously in our church we we believe you can get along across disagreement. Yeah, but last thing I want to do is set myself up as the head of his home and start running over. You know, that's why it's important that the husband has the call in joining a church as a member, too. His family, if he's going to submit himself and his family to membership in the, in a certain local church, he has the opportunity to say, I trust the doctrine and direction yeah. of this church. Yep. So I think that's a particular danger that ladies can, can get into. Yep. Thank you, modern women's ministry movement. Yeah, it's just the internet. I mean, it decentralizes everything, and women's ministry has established a quasi-female eldership that you know ends up teaching and guarding doctrine. And there's just there's all kinds of women can get on Instagram and Twitter, and men can do the same thing. Yeah, and all of a sudden, six months later, they're fully convinced of some niche Christian tradition that is completely outside their family, and they're frustrated with their husband. And they're <laughs> starting to get arrogant and think he's an idiot and. You know, why doesn't he believe in all the things that why I believe? Why aren't we celebrating the feast Man. days? Why isn't he? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, you've got red-pilled on the church calendar or something, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're looking down on your husband, you're not respecting yeah. him. But you are commanded to respect your husband. You're not commanded to be the doctrinal head of your home. You're just not. So, And I think, too, as for important. women, like, let joy be the tone of what you're what you're doing, like if, say you become Pado baptist or whatever, and suddenly your husband sees you're a way more joyful wife because there's different connections taking place that weren't there before. In some ways, that's a really good apologetic for him to be like, huh, yeah. she takes this seriously. Wonder why she's in such a good mood all the time when the kids have been so fussy and sick for six weeks straight. Yep. It might be an opportunity for him to ask you about it. You can say, hey, I won't convince you. That's for the in the kitchen, yeah, right? <laughs> we're going to talk about pedo baptism. In the, a lot of people have asked us about like our change and becoming pedo baptist. So we'll talk about that in the patron exclusive episode. But but I'm just saying, you've always told me when we've made any changes is let joy be the apologetic. Yeah, let joy be the apologetic. And I I do think it's important to say just very, I think we've already made it clear, but maybe in case we haven't. 
ladies, if you're if you're a Pado Baptist or something, and your husband's a Credo Baptist, and he's convinced, you're, you're you submit to him. <laughs> you're actually don't a Credo try Baptist. to get your kids secretly baptized or something. No, just <laughs> submit to him. Trust the Lord and submit to him. Again, on these secondary things, submit to your husband. If your husband's like, no, we are, um, we we are not going to. Yeah, I'm not Lutheran, or I'm not. Yeah, I know you've read a bunch of stuff, and you you think that this is correct, but this is where our family's going to fellowship. This is where I want our kids to be catechized. Don't undermine him. Yeah, no. Don't go and try to you know, literally. Just you need to understand the triage of importance. Obeying your explicit commands to follow your husband, respect him, uh, submit to him, and be joyful. So uh, on the husband side, though, there's. I do think that it is, there's both ditches can be the same, where you have the one ditch for a husband where he's super theologically minded, he reads a ton, and he just runs roughshod, like where he's changing the entire doctrine and church affiliation of his family every six months. Yeah, you've counseled a lot of young guys like this. Yes. It's very dangerous. They need to be stable. They need to be slower they need to stop being convinced of whole positions by reading one book or watching one YouTube one channel, YouTube video. They need to understand that if you don't under, if you don't, if you are not aware of the scope of a theological debate yeah. and you haven't, you're not familiar with the arguments of multiple perspectives, reading one thing is probably not adequate because it will be persuasive to you. If you're not familiar with the whole debate, the first thing yeah. you read will sound true. That's why, you know, the first to state his case is it can seem correct until you hear the other side. So it's like you, you listen to one sermon from one pastor on the topic, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I'm, I believe in head coverings now, or I believe in Calvinism now, or I believe in covenant theology now, or I believe in pedobaptism now. I chose things I believe in all of those. But you should stop and read multiple perspectives. Yeah. So husbands can get here, and it leads to uh, he loses trust with his wife, when he's continually telling her this is true, and then six months later, yeah. he's like, that actually wasn't true. This is true. And then yeah. six months later, he's like, that actually wasn't true. This is true. I'm not saying don't move, don't shape the family, don't take an active lead, but theology nerds need to be careful that they're not just dragging the family around from thing to thing, not letting them ever have roots in a church or a tradition. Like You need to be slow and deliberate about a change and mean it when you change. Mean yeah. it when you change. If you're convinced of something and, and you've done the work, I'm saying good job, act on those convictions, but try to make sure you're not going to change everything again in six months. And I, and I see this happen all the time. Yeah. This is people are and the tossed wives to and are fro. always, it, it is really devastating to watch. It's, yeah. it's devastating for lots of reasons because as someone who has counseled a lot of wives in these situations, there's not much I can do to intervene. I'm not, a Pope in their husband's life. Yeah. And it, it really is. It really can wreck families. Yeah. When you do that, you're not going at a human scale. You're not giving your kids the stability they need. Yeah. If there's kids involved, like it's, it's, it's truly devastating. It really is. I, I, I know of one guy who he was saved later in life, kind of radically from, you know, big, big, problems and sins and lots of stuff and no Christian tradition. Whatever. He had a testimony. He had a testimony. <laughs> and, then, and then, you know, he saved like literally watching Joel Osteen on the television. And then within a year, he was like at a really solid reformed Baptist church. And then a year later, he was Presbyterian, six months later, he was Presbyterian. And then one month later, he was like 
Now I'm not Presbyterian. I'm this very hyper niche thing. And I started, you know, I, I started looking into it with the other elders, like, what is this? Realized he's getting led astray by a YouTube wolf, a wolf on YouTube, who's not a Christian, absolutely a wolf, lying, slanderous wolf, wicked man. And we warned him. We said, don't, don't follow this guy. You're being hasty. You're, you're, you, you don't understand what you're doing. You need to, you've sworn oaths to obey your elders. We're telling you, do not watch this. Do not watch these YouTube videos. He's going to lead you astray. And, and I won't tell you the whole, but ended up shipwrecking, like making a shipwreck, isolating his family, just, and, and part of the sin, part of the issue was a core instability. He was not a stable man because he wasn't a humble man. He wouldn't listen to anybody except his own mind in, in a YouTube wolf that he didn't know. So it's like, yeah. Men have to be careful that they don't get into, they don't treat theology, uh, the work of theology, like it's just a, a fun hobby. Yeah. And drag your family around through it wherever, you know. No, you need to be stable. You, you need to think, I'm trying to make decisions so that my children will want to worship the Lord the way that we worship the Lord for 200 years and, you know, on down the generations. And not, well, okay, we innovate every six months, and we were Baptists, yeah. now we're Presbyterians, then we're going to be Lutheran, we're going to be Anglican after that, then we're going to be Eastern Orthodox, then we're going to be Roman Catholic, then we're going to go back, we're going to be apostates all together. It's like, no, take the time, don't be convinced on the basis of one book, and have epistemic humility, talk to your elders, go slow, don't change your mind on the basis of any single book, podcast, etc., including this one, including Brighthearth. And make sure you're talking to the people who know you in your life. So I think that's those are some important yeah. caveats. Husbands on the other side of the ditch, though, can let their wife get way ahead of them theologically because they won't read. They won't do the work. That husband really does need to read. He needs to do the work. He's called to be a leader of his home, so he needs to be a qualified one. So if his wife has read 10 books on a subject, I'm not saying he's going to be able to keep up necessarily with time and work and all that, but he needs to make sure that he's listening to her and he's actually doing the work in the text and he's able to interact with it. He's not being rude. He's not getting short. He's not um, like, uh, a, a, what's the word? He's not like a thin eggshell that's easily broken, that his wife being interested in something, a man can get insecure about that Yeah, that's really what quick. I was going to say is insecure. And then he can feel like, I'm an idiot. Oh no, I need to respond with bluster and bravado and pride and arrogance instead of humility. It's okay to learn from your wife. I've learned many things from my wife. She's recommended many books to me that have helped me learn things. And she's learned many things first before I did. That's not a <laughs> failure. That's a success. It means I'm shepherding my home in a way that my wife is has access to yeah. great resources and a rich theological and intellectual life. I'm very pleased when my wife knows something I don't like. I want to learn. I want to be able to provide an environment where she and my kids are going to do. The, my kids are going to do the same thing. They're going to be like, Dad, have you read this book? And I'll be like, I've never even heard of that book. Should I? And I'm sure my daughters and my sons are going to say, Yeah, Dad, you need to read this book. Mm -hmm. It's from the sixth century. It was written in Latin. That's why you don't know it. Because <laughs> yeah, I provided them an education where they're learning Latin and I don't know it. So, <laughs> like, all of these things are doable the the secret sauce i think we've gotten come a long way around to say just the most important thing now 42 minutes in or whatever but it's that in marriage theological change and development the secret sauce is love and humility it's love and humility if you don't have love and humility doesn't matter how right you are wrong you are you're a clinging gong you need to love your spouse love your wife love your husband 
and do what would be consistent with loving them. In in the if it's warning them, hey honey, I I see you're interested in this. Let can I pause you for a minute? Like if a wife is getting you know ten books in and and the husband's like concerned about something, he just be able to say, honey, I love you. Pause from reading these books for a minute. Let me catch up. And she needs to be willing to she pause. Needs to say, okay, no problem. I'm glad that you love me enough to want to protect me. So I'll I'll stop. Here's the books I've been reading. Can you investigate it and let me know how you know where to go? She needs to be able to say, <laughs> I will. Yeah. I will listen. I've done that. There's only one time I can really think of, but I've done that. I can't even remember one. So Well, I talked about this on a few episodes ago. What what was it? it? Was you, you don't have to with, say it if you can, but it was with Elise Fitzpatrick. Oh yes. I'm so glad too that yeah. I told you that. <laughs> and I, I kinda like I've I knew that yeah, I was like, was, this, this lady's an antinomian. It was helpful to hear it from somebody else. Like, okay, this probably isn't worth my time yeah. anymore. Yeah, we need it. <laughs> and and that's actually, there have been, yeah, there have been points, and I'm, I'm not bringing up specific. There, there, have, there have been times when, as a husband, I have to go, I think my wife is reading something and is being, like, is, a little, is torn up about it. Like, she's conflicted about this thing. Well, say, I, say another one. Uh, well, even um, I'll give general examples. This happens a lot in homes, like food stuff, health oh, yeah. stuff. Oh yeah, that's that's true. It's you, similar. Yeah, you did. Um, you told me when we were like coming out of some of the veganism stuff because of different health issues. You had said, "Hey, you're going to buy butter this week, and you're going to read Joe Rigney's book." <laughs> yeah, you're not allowed to be a vegan anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I never was a vegan for the record, but uh, um, it's, yeah, that kind of thing. It's a similar thing yeah, yeah. because those are doctrine. Those are just yeah. applied oh, totally. doctrinal issues, health stuff. And some of that, some of that genuinely for me was like, I didn't, I just didn't know it was a doctrine issue. Yeah. If it had been brought up quicker, like I knew in the back of my mind, the promised land is filled with milk and honey. This can't be true. But I, I didn't <laughs> like, I didn't have a framework to hang it on. So yeah. that's why sometimes it is helpful for a husband to be like, here's the framework, knock it off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A husband has to be willing to say, Hey, no. And read this. Yeah. Let's think, or just like sometimes a husband has an intuition. Like I think yes. I haven't done all the reading, but this smells wrong. Yes. My yes, wife's yes. kind of getting into this stuff and yeah. I just, I'm not in, I don't think it smells right. And the thing is, ladies need to respect their husbands more than they want to be right about stuff. Yes. And husbands need to love uh, their wives enough to not get butt hurt or to be, uh, you know, insecure if he doesn't know something his wife does. It, there, there's there's ditches that are common to men yeah. and common to women in this, but they 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 get solved by humility and love. Mm-hmm. When you understand your role and you you throw yourself into doing your duties as a husband or as a wife with vigor and faith. Trusting the Lord and not that you're going to get doctrinal perfection or cult, you know, health perfection or whatever it is. You don't, you don't want to just like get caught up with the, the back to the theology thing. This can happen where a, a man or a woman just gets super hyper anxious about having a perfect theological model and they will just be anxious about it. You need to hear that we're saved by Christ to be united to the Father. Theology is good, but it is actually not God. It's knowledge about God and the world that he made. It's important. But we worship a a father, right? A father whose approval we have through Christ. So we need to make sure that we're not spending 99% of our time 
in rigorous theological investigation and 1% of the time in prayer and good works. Yeah, yeah. And make yeah, sure that we're doing yeah. the prayer and the good works. And then we're pursuing theological knowledge in the context of a life live, being poured out in prayer and good works for the glory of God. So that there's safety there because you will always have the grounding, even if you change your mind and you grow mm-hmm. theologically mature, you'll always have the grounding to be able to understand why it is. Something, what the doctrine's for. Yeah, and something yeah. that... I remember my friend, he was actually Joshua, uh, who was on the, the show not long ago on the defense episode. He's always talked about, I think it's his mom, who is like, you know, not a high church reformed theology person, but is kind of a simple, broadly evangelical Christian. I might be getting this wrong. Sorry, Joshua, if I got the details wrong. But he'll always say like that she is the godliest woman he knows. She's a warrior in prayer. She loves. She's, you know, a caring, nurturing She's abounding in Christian fruitfulness and could not argue with you probably (laughs) about the finer points of the third point of Calvinism. But the point is, that is a real thing. This explains why it's a real thing. Mm -hmm. You will find saints who are like from Pentecostally kind of evangelical sort of churches, and they're just clearly abounding in the fruits of the Spirit. Yeah, It's because the Spirit indwells them and is working in them and conforming them to Christ, not just through a pipeline that only runs through their cerebellum, right? So we need to remember that and have a keeping the works and prayer in balance with our theological investigation and so we keep the heart. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I don't think so. Well, thanks for listening, guys. We do we will be talking about our specific kind of like high level some of the things in our own journey to pedo baptism in our episode of In the Kitchen. In the Kitchen is a short podcast that we do each week with either one or both of us where we talk sometimes about things related to the main episode, sometimes taking questions from our patrons. Um, and then we release that on patreon.com/brighthearth. If you support the show, um, then you'll have access to this week's In the Kitchen as well as all of the back catalog there that's posted on Patreon. And it's a great way to support the show, help us continue to make it possible, and also to uh, get access to some cool... We, we send out like a Feed the Patriarchy mug, I think it is, with certain tiers there on Patreon. And also make sure you check out Garlands of Grace, and we're thankful for them to sponsor this episode. We love their products. We think they do a great job quality stuff so uh, husbands if you're looking for a something cute for your wife or your daughter great place to check out link in the description to both of those god bless you may his face shine upon you and may he cause you to abound in the fruits of the spirit this week uh, we'll see you next time on bright hearth